All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back. We are here with uh, another Learning Tech Talks at our usual time. It is Friday, and uh, we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff, answering the questions you need answered. So today's going to be a fun one. I've got Casper Spiro, and he's the CEO of Easy Generator, and we're going to be talking about digital content development, but we're going to take things in a number of different directions. And by the way, Casper, I have to I, I have to laugh. I always watch as we're rolling down the countdown to see yeah. who else is dancing. Because <laughs> every week, and I still kind of jam behind scenes. And you're you're one of the first that's actually I've really seen kind of you know rocking back and forth. So anyway, but before we get into it, before we get into where you could see me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a reason I don't tell people because that oh shoot, now I've spoiled it. Now everybody's gonna know that that's actually <laughs> Anyway, for those of you who are tuning in live, and Casper, I'll start with you on this one, but if you're tuning in live, you can play along as well. Comment in and share where you are in the world today. So Casper, where are you? I'm in uh, the Netherlands, and okay. I'm at home. Uh, we are in full lockdown uh, in the Netherlands, and I'm in the south of the country. So it's really different setup than in the US, because if I will travel for 20 minutes in that direction, it will be Germany. If I travel for 30 minutes in that direction, it's Belgium. And an hour in that direction, I will be in the North Sea. Okay. So that's how small the Netherlands is, and I'm in the thousands of the country. Okay. So you're like, right, that's that's crazy. Okay. All right. So yeah, that is a little bit different than the U.S. I mean, I guess if I, when I was in Chicago, you could go to Indiana in an hour, but that was pretty much it. Otherwise, you had quite a ways to go. Yeah, you got a small, you got a small state there. All right. So yeah. I'm, in, I'm in Waukesha, like I always am. So that's where I am today. Um, but... Let's switch gears off location. This one I'm actually really looking forward to. Um, Casper <laughs> has one-upped me on this. So we've got our icebreaker question. And those of you who are watching, I'd encourage you to comment along. But what is the worst haircut you've ever had? And Casper, you you promised me you even have a picture of this. So I'm really yeah, looking forward I have. to it. So while you're pulling it up, you got to tell the story behind this a little bit. Yeah, so I can actually, I will share my screen so you can see it. <laughs> oh, right. Can you see it? Uh, no, because I'm still seeing the, I'm still seeing, there, oh, we there we go, here we go, hang on, there we go. Wow! This is, me. <laughs> this is me walking in the street where my parents used to live in, in Voorburg, which is a small town near the Hague, and as you can see, uh, well, I had a lot of hair at that time. <laughs> yeah, wow. It was okay. a bit of alternative. Okay, and so how long? I can did you have it down hair? again. How, how how long did you have that haircut? Yeah, I think uh, for a long time until it start falling out. But uh, this was like the worst it was ever. I think uh, so. Uh, I need to have had a haircut there. Okay. <laughs> really, that is so funny. Okay, but so you can see from the cars, it's like. Uh, 1997, 1980, probably. Yeah, you, like you said it was a long it was time 90, ago. We got a 90s theme going because last last episode yesterday we were talking about what was your first CD. So now we've got a 90s haircut here. And actually, I think mine. So my story with it. Thanks. I'm close this down, so I I hate looking at that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my worst haircut was probably around the same time. It was probably in the 90s. Um, but there, somebody had dared me. And again, I think it's actually really funny that we're talking about worse haircut because you have two guys who really don't have much hair left. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't sport the haircut I'm about to talk, and I have a feeling you couldn't sport the haircut you were wearing in that picture either. Um, but so somebody had dared me to do the wildest haircut that I could. And at the time, believe it or not, I'd grown my hair out really long. I looked like a shaggy dog. And anyway, somebody dared me and said, I, you, you won't do anything too crazy. So I actually shaved it. <laughs> down the middle and then on one side it was just completely shaved and then on the other side it was long and i dyed it pink oh wow i have no idea why it was a terrible idea and the problem and you were sober was, when you did that <laughs> I, I was a kid i was like in high school and okay so, i know and so here i had this long pink hair on the one side and no hair on the other so I ended up having to shave the other side because there's really nothing you can do about it. I wasn't going to stay that way for long, but yeah, that was one of the, that was by far the worst haircut that I ever had. I can imagine. <laughs> okay. So let's transition. Let's shift gears a little bit into digital content development and what we're doing here. Um, so you are the CEO 
of Easy Generator. And I always like to get a little bit of backstory into the guests because I'm always interested to hear how you how you got to this point. So as you were a kid back with your haircut like that, where you think to yourself, <laughs> you know what, someday as you're casually walking down the streets in the 90s, I'm going to create a digital content development company and I'm going to run that. Was that was that the plan or how did you get there? No, no, there, there was no plan there. So uh, originally I'm a teacher, so okay. it's not that far away. Uh, I did a lot, of, a lot of stuff, but I think it's sort of the accumulation of things that I did over time. So starting out as a teacher, always interested in learning. Um, but my first job was when I was still studying, uh, I was asked to, to teach uh, unemployed people uh, accountancy. And that was 1985. And a special thing there was that it was not only just a default accountancy training, but actually computer-based, okay. which was really something at that time. So my very first job that I landed uh, was working with computers and I never stopped doing that. So I was always working with computers on one side and things had to do with learning and other things uh, at the other side. Um, so I think that, uh, that, that that mix was already there. Okay. I have a, a long history of being a consultant, had a, a previous company on uh, content management. Uh, 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 but the last 15 years or so, I'm more and more into learning. Okay. Um, and my previous job. Wait, you were a teacher. Yeah. What grade? I got to see. I told you I'm going to interrupt you throughout this because I'm always curious. Yeah. What, what grade did you teach? It was for high school. Okay. So uh, you're a high school teacher. Yeah. And then for economics and social that. studies. Yes. Okay. okay. Social studies, I, high school social studies teacher. And yeah. then you went into consulting from there? Yeah. Because uh, in five years' time, uh, I, I, I gave those, that, those courses uh, for those uh, uh, for accountancy. And I hated really uh, the, the books I had to work with. And by the way, I also hated uh, accounting because when I started, I was still studying, as I said, that was in my fourth year and I was doing quite well, but uh, for accountancy, I didn't pass any exam yet, not even from the first year. <laughs> so that was fun. Yeah. So I just started out doing that, but I hated the books I had to work with. So I started writing my own notes and those notes had to be that they, they, they become, they were bundled. So I used them every time we had new courses and there were more courses spread out over the country and they went to a publisher to print it. And that publisher was writing, uh, they wanted to write a book uh, on accountancy. And they said, uh, basically, a competitor of the books that I hated. And they, they saw the print, uh, and they asked me, do you want to create those books? So I started writing those books. And with that, the mindset shifted a bit of, of uh, well, sort of uh, transferring that knowledge and stuff like that. So uh, the consultancy that I did was much, much more about knowledge sharing and things okay. like that. So that's where I moved from that. So I never actually taught at a school. I only had uh, basically five years with the, the unemployed, and then I moved from there more into the knowledge sharing and the learning, uh, and also a lot of performance sports uh, things that I did. Okay, yeah. got it. And then that's what led you to create Easy Generator. And I guess I'm just curious. We'll 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 highlight what Easy Generator is so we can explain that. But you know, as you well, and actually, why don't we? Well, let's do a combination answer to this then, because. Just to, when people say, so you're the CEO of Easy Generator, what is Easy Generator? I want to know how you answer that, but at the same time also answer, so you're doing this, you were a teacher, you were creating this content, and then you got into knowledge sharing. What then problem were you looking at that you said, you know what, I actually think we can create a solution that can do a better job of this than, than exists yeah. today. Um, so yeah, it was really very simple. Um, yeah, so uh, in, in, in uh, the different roles and, and functions that I have, uh, I was responsible for creating a lot of e-learning. Okay. And I was always frustrated with that because I thought the whole process, so from the day one that I had to work with Eddie, I hated it because I don't like waterfall models and stuff like that. So I was one of the first. I thought you were talking about Eddie. I'm like, no, no, it's like an instruction design waterfall model. does not like him. Okay, Addy, got it. Addy, yes. So I started writing about agile software learning development already, content development like 10 years ago. So that is one. So I don't like that process. But if you look at it, the process, if I want to start writing about uh, doing a podcast, uh, I will, will interview you and I interview a bunch of other people. That takes a lot of time because I am then the instructor designer with the knowledge on how to create a course. And that process takes a lot of time. Then I have to process that information and put it out. So it costs a lot of money and a lot of time. But the worst thing is 
I don't know anything about making a podcast. You do. So once the course is live, I am responsible for the course and you are not. So yeah. if it's there, it's outdated when it's live. Or, and if it's not, it will be outdated within a week because you are not responsible for maintaining the course. Okay. So the bottom line is what I always felt. We spent a lot of time and money to teach people outdated stuff. And I hated that. <laughs> That's the problem that I want to solve. Okay. Got it. As simple as that. That's you know what it's it is a fair it's a fair statement in that and I can see it it's true there's there's definitely truth behind that where a lot of times especially with that process and the fact that let's just not even get into the fact that so often we add a bunch of just nonsense to the process which only makes it even longer so yeah. typically even by the time the course is produced it's, it's already, already outdated. Correct. Now added so much time to it that the the need might even be gone. Um, but then on top of it, yeah, the maintenance of it. Okay, so Correct. then that leads to. So you said I'm going to create Easy Generator. So no, I actually I'm not the founder of Easy Generator. Well, it was, okay, fine. It you're was, running it. All right. So you're not. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So actually, it was really funny because I was working my previous job and I was working at an e learning company that represented all major e learning software companies. So okay. we had question mark, Moodle, Sakai, Blackboard, everything. We sold them in the Netherlands. We were the partners. Okay. And um, I was looking for a simple altering tool and I got uh, introduced to Easy Generator as a potential right. tool to do that. But okay. it was at that time still focused on instructional designers, but it was relatively You simple. were using it as a tool. You got familiar with it as a tool. Yeah, correct. And then uh, there was a sort of coincidence because I was sort of uh, working at that company, uh, asked by the, the CEO, was the vice president of learning technology there, and we really liked doing that together. And then uh, he told me uh, that uh, he had to leave the company. Okay. So he sold the shares and left. And I was sort of, okay. And then a new guy came and uh, we thought quite different about everything. Okay. And I thought, yeah, I was doing this together with, uh, with, with, uh, with Ed, the CEO. So, we, uh, so I was sort of, ah, what do I do now? And at that moment, the guys from Easy Generator came for a second talk. And instead of two people, only one came because the guy who was running the show left the company. And I said, oh, wait a minute, one on one is two. So I actually sent him an email. So wait a minute. So I'm currently rethinking my position and I really like your tool. So, and I think I have, I ideas. like your tool. Can I be the CEO? And I, and I sort of, uh, I think I can take it in a certain direction. So uh, I started talking to the shareholders and uh, just uh, two months later, I, uh, I uh, became the CEO. And that's now, that's, that's like uh, 10 years ago now. Okay. That is so funny. Yeah. You know what? I, I, my job here is not going so great. I'm rethinking things. You know what? Why don't you hire me to be your CEO? No, actually, it was a funny story because the new guy started and I, I, I had a, an interview. He started on Monday. I was the first guy to talk to and it was like not going well, that conversation. So it was clearly that we were thinking different. So I told him in the conversation, okay, you're hired for a job. I think if you think black, I think white and the other way around probably. So uh, I will just uh, look for another job. So I told my wife, I was 50 at the time. So I told my wife, okay, I just told my boss that I will uh, quit my job. I said, do you have something else? No, I don't have a clue. Oh. So she said, you're 50, are you crazy? But well, it uh, was quite easy but to learn this great job. Yeah, okay. it, 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 it I, won't work go, out I won't go into it because I have a very similar story, but that's not the topic at hand. So we'll, we'll, no. we'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> But I do love, I write the history of this stuff is always great. So that that's, that's fair. Okay. But so now easy generator, obviously you used it as a tool. We, we've been sitting here talking about it as a tool, but what, what is it? What's that elevator P we've talked, obviously we've hinted at the fact it's digital content creation, but how, what is its kind of unique space? How, how does it play in the market? Yeah, well, uh, the, we, uh, the funny thing is that we first failed before we started building up success. So I joined the company and we started building out because it was selling only in the Netherlands. And I had an international network, so I started presenting in the States on Devler and on all the other shows, you, you know them. And we started growing a bit, but not in the way that we envisioned. Okay. Because as an altering tool for instructional designers, which we were at that time, um, basically you're competing with, uh, well, the big guys out there. And big then uh, a small company from the Netherlands with, uh, well, uh, two employees uh, and, and, and three developers. Uh, the next to the, the the sales guy and me, that is hard. So we did grow, uh, but not in the way that we envisioned. Okay. So after two years, well, uh, the original pl growth plan was to target more the instructional design, the L and D side of the yes, house. because they, that was they, what it was designed for. And right, I started. Well, which makes yeah. sense, but like you said, you're competing, and we won't mention them by name, but 
I think anybody who's ever done any sort of content development, we know who yeah. the big players are. And there are pretty big companies be, be there. So it's hard. Yeah. So we didn't have the means uh, to actually uh, really fight. And it's like a, 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 a sort of a, a match who has the most functionality. <laughs> and those tools are quite complex. So, but, uh, so we didn't... We didn't fail, but we also didn't succeed. So after two years, uh, I had a shareholders meeting and I told them, okay, so here is where we are. I'm not that happy. I don't think you're that happy. So let's just stop. Uh, I want to do uh, something that I really believe in. And then I said, they agreed. And I said, by the way, and I was already sort of looking with a half an eye for another job. So, uh, the, and then I said, by the way, I have a better idea because what I learned, so my real frustration, and then I talked about, the content creation, which is too slow, too expensive, and you can't maintain it. That is the problem that I want to solve. With for that, we don't have to build functionality. You have to build lack of functionality. We only need the absolute minimum. We okay. need to build a simple tool. It needs to be 100% online, and it doesn't need to focus on instructional designers. It needs to focus on people who want to share their knowledge. Okay. And so I was already halfway out of making that pitch, and I said, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> you were going to follow a similar path to what got you there in the first place, which said, you know yes. what, I just don't really think this is working. I don't like not doing it. I have an alternative idea, but you were thinking they were going to go, no, no, thanks. We're not going to do that. And then you turned out that they said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> they did, yeah, and they backed me all the way. And it's still, I still think it's credible that they, they had the guts to do that. It's just – just my story. So basically, we shut down everything except development. Uh, so it was like uh, April uh, 2013 that we decided that. And then we had a few developers uh, in Ukraine that uh, were already uh, part of our company. So we worked with them to build a completely new tool with a new vision. But everything was different. Like, uh, it was a SaaS tool. I mean, again, I told you, I'm going to cut into these things. Because fundamentally, that's a shift in strategy. Because before, if you were trying to compete with the big dogs... Your focus was how do we keep adding new functionality, new features, new capabilities, all that. But then by shifting directions, it was saying, actually, no, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to simplify this thing because that's not the direction we want to go. We actually want to make it easier for subject matter experts. Or Yeah, yeah the only thing that's still the same is that it's about content creation. But right. the audience is different. The people we sell to is different. Uh, the the whole business. We were selling through partners. Now we sell uh, directly. Uh, so uh, everything is a completely new company. So we started that in 2013. We launched in Deflern in uh, Las Vegas in uh, was October 2013. And it really caught up. So we launched the first paid edition, I think, in 2014. And from that, it started building up. And uh, now we are with uh, 80 people. So we grew 93% last year. We are offices in four countries. So that's like incredible. Yeah. So you went from just this slow little growth competing with the big dogs and you completely pivoted your strat. I, I <laughs> See, the stories behind this stuff sometimes to me are just as good as the, the tech itself. Okay. Yeah, but that's also the fun of, uh, uh, well, I, maybe that's not uh, the right word, but it's like playing uh, a business <laughs> because I, it's sort of a game, isn't it? If you're competing with other people, it's like uh, playing a soccer well, match. Uh, you want to win. I know. And sometimes those counterintuitive strategies where you're like, well, wait, but it makes sense to do to do this and you go, well, now let's play the game of business and let's change the cards and suddenly it takes off. Okay, so with that, right. let's talk a little bit about this digital content development stuff because I think there's a lot that we can unpack with this and I think we'll get into some of the, and again, for those of you watching, feel free to ask questions along the way, feel free to chime in. But I think one of the things that's interesting about this is that's a little bit of a counterintuitive, even I actually am curious. So when you first went to DevLearn, or, or whatever, and you launch this new approach, I have to imagine that there were some L&D people that kind of sat back in their chair and went, wait a minute, what? You want you want our business SMEs to create content? Uh-uh. Like, we're not, no, that's not going to work for us. Did you run into that at all? Because I can tell Absolutely. you right now, yeah. there were plenty of L&D people in my network that I know who at first glance would go, Mm -mm. Yeah, are you crazy? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and the interesting thing is that, um, uh, and also, so for example, uh, where instruction designers used to be our target audience, now yeah. suddenly we were sort of the enemy for them because we were threatening right? their job. We were You're telling right. You're perceived. Now I will get into that because I don't see it as a threat, but I can see where initial perception would be. Yeah. Oh no, this is my job. I'm going to protect that. And you're a threat to my existence in many ways. Correct. Yeah. 
but what you what you what we found out pretty soon is and 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 the funny thing is that the the pitch resonates better with the the management or actually wow. our buyers <laughs> than with the instructional designer so it also led to, to that we were starting targeting on a really different level and and you encounter a really interesting thing because i explained it's like cost speed and maintenance which are the three key elements Yep. And what you find is that the different companies look at that in a very different way. So I know, for example, that Unilever was one of our customers. Uh, I spoke to their CLO once, and he he told me that their their company operates on two bus- uh, two speeds. So you have the factories, which are relatively slow, but you also have product development, marketing, sales, which is going faster and faster. And his point was e-learning just can't get up with the speed of the business. So he wants to create learning with the speed of the business, which is basically the speed of one of the things. And you see that all the time, but different companies have like a different accent in those elements. And of yeah. course, he loves that it's cheaper and he loves that it's uh, uh, maintainable, but and it, that that makes a difference. Uh, another company like Kellogg, for them, is really that they believe that uh, the business should own uh, yeah. the content. And that is much more that the maintenance thing, which is really the core idea behind. We call it, by the way, employee generated learning. That's the, the name of the project yeah, that, we have. That's probably the buzzword in L and D. Yeah, and the cool thing is that we actually invented that word. That that is that is our word. We came up with that. We sort of created a whole new new niche market around that. Yeah. Content. <laughs> yeah. At first, we actually we at first we called it uh, employee generated content. And then uh, we got, uh, we found out that when we were writing about that, we had a lot of competition from marketing because from marketing perspective, they also have employee generated content. So then we called it employee generated learning to have like a different uh, uh, CEO result. Yeah, so so we really had to sort of uh, of pivot to find the right term. But that is is what we do. And and for Kellogg, they are really sort of uh, embracing the, the central piece. And that is the business should own the content they should uh, decide is learning the best solution and they should decide uh, they should they are the only one who can keep it up to date so that is sort of the key thing that i really love okay so let's talk about this because this one i think is going to go in a number of different directions and could open up but let's let's open pandora's box a little bit yeah let's do that <laughs> because this can and again like i said i can see initially how this can be perceived as a threat. It can absolutely be perceived as a threat, especially if you're a content developer or even even if you're, you know, your team is largely responsible for creating content, you might go, well, if we bring in a tool and the business is creating its own content, then like what 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 role do I play in that? Now, I think to your point, one of the things that you said with Unilever is so true is I don't think in my entire career I've ever been in an organization where I've said, you know what, we've got the resources to create everything that the business needs at the speed in which they need it ever. I, no matter how many people I've had dollars I've had, we've never been able to keep it up. And so you're, early you're in my always career, lagging behind. Yeah. Because you're, you're always, always you're, lagging yeah. behind. You're always behind. And so to me early on in my career, I quickly realized relinquishing control and not having to be the bottleneck of everything was actually the key to our success and being able to say, we don't have to do everything. Now, where that then becomes not a threat, though, is that we just reposition kind of like you with Easy Generator when you came in, you said, I, I don't think the direction we're going is the right direction. I still think content development is important. And so I looked at it and said, I still think learning and development and the skill that we have is important. I don't think we necessarily always have to be the one doing the creation of the content. And so we shifted more to a, if you want to use buzzwords, right, performance consultant. We still develop some content. It's not that we never developed content. It's just we didn't develop all the content and we serve more to help be the guardian and like enabler of the business. Yeah. I, I totally uh, uh, agree with that. So, because you see that certain types of content are more top-down oriented. If you talk about security, compliance training that you have to certify, stuff like that, that is like a top-down approach. But that was like the default approach for everything uh, a few years ago. And uh, I believe that is maybe a, a few percent of the whole learning content that you create. And for all the other tools, it needs to be. Uh, owned by the business, and then the role of the learning department or the instruction designer becomes to become a coach, uh, to become to make sure that the quality is there. Because that is, uh, if you talk about one of the disadvantages or one of the risks, is of course if you have a subject matter expert creating content and the content is really bad, 
there's still no point in, in using that as learning. Uh, yeah, and that's let's let's get into that one a little bit because first of all, I'm gonna we've got a couple questions that I'll bring up that I think hopefully we've answered them for you, Sarah. But one of hers was how do you manage this in a highly regulated environment? And I think what you just hit on and what we were talking about is moving to this more what did you call it? Employee generated learning versus content. Okay. In that environment, there still are elements that the L&D function is owning that we're still creating. And in, in and again, you have to, you can't just, we talk about this a lot. You don't just swing the pendulum and just go, here's the keys company, go create content. Like we go do whatever you want. We don't care anymore. And there are still elements. So I think that to Sarah's question is, are there going to be some of those things that you still own and you say, Hey, we you know we have to we're we're accountable for this, so we need to own that content. But yes, to your point, that has been the default of everything, and that's not. I, I would agree that I don't think that has to be the case. Yeah, so I think there's a big shift, uh, but I think that um, we have a, a number of customers who are highly regulated. So we have uh, uh, medical companies. Uh, a few of the companies are now creating the vaccines uh, yep. for uh, COVID are using Easy Generator. You have yep. banks, uh, insurance companies. So all, all of them highly regulated. The thing is, regulation is all about control. You already mentioned it. It's about relinquishing control. Yes. Um, with control doesn't always come quality. Correct. With control, you get something default. Yes. The business knows more than the learning department. So if you have to, if you can use the power and the knowledge of the business and do that in a smart way, so we see a lot of companies that are highly regulated at first, they don't allow people to publish themselves directly into an LMS, what is possible, or an LXP or a, a SharePoint environment or whatever. Yep. They need to be first a check. Uh, is the course correct? Do we, uh, does it have the proper level? Is the information correct? But in fact, uh, that doesn't really work that way. So I think that if you just let it go, uh, look at Wikipedia. The quality of Wikipedia is better than the average than the best encyclopedia. They, they, they compare them. And that is because maybe at first it's not flawless, but if you're building something that people can give feedback and that they can... Uh, so, so one of the things that we found is really helpful. If, if you publish a course on a podcast, then your name and your contact details need to be on it. Because yep. then first you would be careful putting out rubbish. That's one. But secondly, if I see something and say, wait a minute, you missed this or how do you do that? Or uh, I don't get this. I can ask you and you as a human expert can then improve yeah. your course. And that is what you want. And that, if you get that process started, is more powerful than any control mechanism you can build. I really believe that. You know, it's it's a fair point, and I think it's an important one. And it, it does go back to sometimes being willing to acknowledge the fact that you said it. The business knows more about this stuff than we do. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget the fact that it's like we actually don't we don't know more than our business stakeholders. I think the value we bring is in and, and Sarah, one of her other questions was one of the challenges. And this is where let's let's get into this that can get a little bit dicey is a lot of times your subject matter experts, they they may not. And I. I don't want to get into adult learning theory and all this stuff because sometimes we we put too much clout in that and we we say oh we we have all this and there's some magic sauce behind what we do. Yeah. In reality, I mean it's it's not it's not rocket science some of the stuff we do. Now that's not to say there's no value in it, but I think there is some risk in just handing over something to somebody who doesn't have any clue how to design content and say go make a course. I've seen some of the stuff that comes back. It's not always real pretty and and sometimes it's a mess. And I think that's where what we talked about was what what does your role become in that? So how do organizations that move to this not just hand things over and end up because the risk is and we we talked about this before we went live. The good thing with tools that make it easy and fast and anybody can develop content is that they're easy and fast and anybody can develop content and the risk of quality you can be, you can see it go down the tubes real quick. So, how are organizations managing that, and what are the L and D folks doing in those orgs now? Yeah, so um, a lot of them still create content because there's still a lot of content being created centrally. Uh, the compliance training we were talking about and other stuff. 
Um, but they, they, uh, their role is changing. So from a, a creator, they become uh, a coach. So what we see in each generator, we have a, you can collaborate. So for example, you as instructor designer can sort of help me create the outline of my course, right. helping setting me. So we have didactical support in the tool. So I think we're the only authoring tool where you actually can set learning objectives and, and, and can measure them. So uh, and, and an instructor designer can help you with that. We built a tool that will uh, help you create a proper learning objective based on Bloom's taxonomy. Just in four simple tabs, we brought it down to the very basics. Uh, it will help you choose the proper verbs and with the verbs you choose the proper level of learning and with that we can help you create a better learning objective. So we have stuff like that. Uh, so but the tool actually uh, has that built in. So there's two things that I want to hit on with that if I'm understanding it right. The tool itself then not only is creating some structure within it for people creating content to say, hey, this is a this is a framework. This is how to think about this. Yeah, you can do that. You can start from a, from, from, a, from a framework or you can start from scratch, but then you have to bring in the structure yourself indeed. Okay. Yeah. But with that, additionally, there's also the capability for, let's say, an instructional designer or someone from the L&D team to collaborate with a SME to help along the way and see that it's not happening over in a silo that you have no Correct. idea what's being created and then it gets punted over. Yeah. But the, uh, and we are, we are expanding on that. So uh, we want to build what we call the, uh, the course quality meter, sort of a set of rules and AI didactical coach, if you want to, to that is sort of what I envision looking over your shoulder with all the rules, but also the knowledge from the other course of what's worked, what doesn't work that helps you. Uh, but what is more important right now is people. So yeah. we have a, uh, uh, an, an incredible support team. They are live 19 hours a day and you can ask them anything. So there we have just a built-in support chat. And with that chat, you can ask a question, of course, about Easy Generator and the functionality. But you can also ask, how do I do this? How do I uh, create a proper learning objective? How do I, you can actually have them review your course. So we have that support system already built in into Easy Generator. And what we are also now doing, we're using more and more data to give you feedback. So um, one of the things that we already do, uh, you probably know an NPS score where you ask a question, would you recommend this company, this product or this course to somebody else? We have that question built into Easy Generator. So an author actually gets an NPS score with uh, feedback on how his course is doing. But we're now building something. We just launched the first one and we're building the second part there, what we call data insight. So we're using the learner data, the results, to give insight to the author. For example, how long do people on average do uh, take uh, your course? So maybe you think you created a course of 15 minutes, but actually yeah, you, it's 45 <laughs> minutes. So we've all That's we've all taken that course, right? That says, yeah, oh, yeah. 15 minutes and you get in, you're like, what? So, and we actually report that back now. Uh, but also how uh, how many attempts do people need in order to, to pass the course? Or uh, how many people have failed, uh, passed, or are still not finished? So that kind of information already gives the, the author more information about the quality of his course. And what okay. we're now working on is actually going back to an author as well. Yeah, this is for, to the author, not to the organization. The author will give it, if he looks at the result tab of his course, you can see the results of learning because we also have like a, a small LMS built in. Uh, uh, so we have XAPI results tracking. So you can actually, you don't have to use an LMS. You can just use Easy Generator, put a link out there and they can take the course. And we use those results to actually give that feedback to the author. Yeah. And what we're now doing is we're looking at, for example, at the questions. So if questions, uh, you have to, what is called the p-value. So if all everybody uh, answers the question correct, there's no sense in, answering, in asking <laughs> the question. You have to improve it. And the same, if everybody answers the question incorrect, there's also an issue. So we can highlight those questions and give you advice. So that is the direction we're taking. So quality is a concern, but that are the things that we're doing. So first, people. So the instructional designers in the company that can coach you and guide you, our support team that can do that, our knowledge base that can do that, but also build in elements in the tool that help you when you're creating the content and once you created it, give you feedback on how to improve your content. So I the, the I so I guess I've I've toyed around with it a little bit, but the feedback loop I think is going back to the question that came up earlier of like, well, how do you ensure quality? How do you make sure that this course is actually, that's one of the biggest things that I feel like a lot of times that's even difficult many times for even us in L and D to get on our courses. Now you add that if you're trying to work with a subject matter expert, that, that becomes even more difficult because how do you even get back to them and go, Hey, all that subject matter content you gave us that we turned into a course that now we put out, 
it wasn't really that great, but now you've actually removed that, that connection so that really directly the author, again, it, it adds a layer of accountability. If you're asking a business subject matter expert to create a course. Yeah. You are responsible for that course. Yeah. Names on it. And they're going to be getting feedback from the users on, Hey, this, this wasn't really that great, or it's taking way too long, or these questions were not yeah. actually assessing my knowledge on that. Yeah, correct. And the other thing that we're doing, because creating learning is, is hard, no yeah. matter how much support you build in. Building a good course is not easy. It will take time. Yeah. So what we're now doing is we're building so that we uh, next to the courses, you now also can create resources in Easy Generator. Okay. So we just launched the first one in December, which is a checklist. It's a very simple checklist uh, where you can just uh, step by step say, uh, if you want to perform a certain stuff, so the 10 things you have to check before uh, starting up your podcast is your mic on uh, well uh, you have probably a list you know that if you give me that list and i will do my first podcast it would be a great help for me and that is because it's not about creating learning material it's about knowledge sharing capturing your knowledge in a form that can be used by any anybody else in the company and uh, with those uh, learning uh, nuggets or a, a resource, if we call them. So the next one will be a how-to, just a, a description. But you can also think of frequently asked questions uh, or stuff like that. So that are like one pagers where you really quickly can create something which has value for somebody else to use. Okay. So that so is also what we're doing, simplifying it. There's the formal courses that what probably more people are familiar with when they think e-learning. You can create formal courses. But you can also, there's a separate capability to develop performance support or job aids or, yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe I, I have a, an image that maybe sort of shows you because I believe there's a, a huge trend going on. Shall I just quickly share that with you? Is that okay? Why? It's my show. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> okay. Uh, so cool. let so, me see. All right. You if I click it. here, you should be able to see this. Do you see now? Okay. I can. There we go. All right. So yeah, let's. So this, this, this is quite a complex uh, image. So there are a couple of things that I may briefly go through. So what you have here is uh, what I call the learning diagram with four quadrants. So the quadrants are made by four trends. So there are four main trends that I believe are currently happening in the world of learning. Okay. So if you look at the bottom and up, then you see a line from learning to support. So where we were working on learning a lot. Uh, now the direction goes more and more into support. If you think about 70, 20, 10 and things like that, uh, there is a trend from learning to more support. Okay. Uh, with that, things also go from formal to more informal. So from a course or face-to-face -face training into the informal learning, the performance support while you're working. So that's another trend. The third thing is from the right to the left is from it goes from knowledge to skills. In the old days, uh, you were training people in a course, you were transferring knowledge, but knowledge is losing its value. Yeah. So for example, I'm not a hero with Excel, but I have to work a lot with it. And I know how it works, but I don't know all the formulas. So if I have to do, and I, for example, I have to take two columns and a value and then add something in the third, I don't know how to do that. I Google it. Yeah. I find I a formula. The funny thing about that is, and I think this is a, a bit of a shift that we're seeing to your point on this, you don't need to know how to do that. You only need no. to know how to do it when you need to do it. And other than that, keep keep the space in your brain for other things that actually are adding. Correct. I, I need to have the skills to find it. And once I found it, I need to have the skills to implement it, to use it. That is where it counts. Yep. So you see a difference. Uh, there's a trend moving away from knowledge and more and more into skills. Okay. And the last trend, uh, we already talked about that a bit, is from top down to bottom up. So instead of the learning department telling you, so I, I like really the analogy. So the old systems uh, with learning management system is like uh, being a, a TV program. Yes. It's just a broadcast. Uh, somebody uh, figures out at eight, we have news, at eight, 20 or soap, and at nine, sports. <laughs> if you want something else, it's bad luck. And I remember, so because I'm old, uh, that we only had one channel in the Netherlands. So there was no choice at all. So that's how I grew up. Okay. And now we have, of course, Netflix. And the interesting thing, Netflix is still the same content because it's still the same shows, the same movies, the same series. Only now they're just sitting there waiting for me to go in when I want it, to find them, watch what I want and yeah. on any device I want. So it is already being uh, going much more to, to, to the much more bottom-up approach. And I believe that the third step is more maybe even like a YouTube uh, kind of thing where the not only 
the, uh, the, the consumer actually decides what to watch and when, but also is the creator of the content. Yes. So that is what's happening. And if you look at this quadrant, I will just quickly over it. So we started out as formal learning companies. So here are the bespoke uh, e-learning companies off the shelves, e-learning companies made by instructional designers. It's formal, it's top-down, and it's learning. So what we did as Easy Generator, we moved that into the knowledge sharing part by enabling people to create it themselves. Yeah. So, so it's bottom-up. Passive consumers, now they're Correct. actually contributing to it. Correct. So it is still knowledge, it's same, still learning, same, still courses, but created by the subject matter experts themselves. And now we're moving into performance support okay. where that same bottom-up approach is being used, but to create different content that you can use while you're working. Okay. So basically to create like your corporate Google. Yeah. So you're playing, now you're playing on both quadrants of the right side, right side. Correct. Of yeah. Doing. We still have a couple of instructional designers using us as a rapid altering yeah. tool. Uh, but that's uh, okay, that's uh, just what's happening. So the, here in the knowledge sharing, this is where our business is. And this is where the business, the growth of the business for a large part also will be. Okay. Got it. Correct. Got it. Well, that's, you know. I'll stop sharing that. Can I see you again? Yeah. Well, I just bring the, I, I already moved it out of the feed. So we're, we're good now. Well, okay. So it's an interesting shift. It is an interesting shift. And I think there's tremendous value in, and again, over the years, even without the tools, you know, this is something that just from personal experience that I've been been trying to push because to your point, and I think we brought this up earlier, there's just, again, I've never been in an organization where I've said our little organization and function has the capability to do and make everything that the organization needs. And I think relinquishing that control while at the same time, and I think this is the value of thinking about it this way is you're relinquishing control while still having oversight and visibility into it. And I think that's really this transition that you need to yeah, make. But it's not different than what happened with me. So uh, like uh, five years ago, Easy Generator was uh, less than 10 people. Okay. And I was marketing, I was sales, I was customer support, I was everything. Yes. And while the company was growing, my role changed. So we got customer support uh, people, we got uh, uh, marketing people, we got sales people. Uh, so as a role... I am not doing marketing anymore. I am not doing sales anymore, but I'm still there and I still have a form of control without actually doing the work. I see what's happening. So yep. I can always go in there and say, wait a minute, I don't like that. Oh, wow, that is great. Because I am now with, uh, with, with 80 plus people, it's impossible to be everywhere. So you also have to trust your people and that is the opposite of control. It's trust. Yep. And I really believe that if you don't have employees that you can trust and that you can build on, then you have a problem. But so, you got a problem there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I really believe. <clears throat> I really believe so because then you you are going to micromanage people as a as a as a manager and stuff like that. If you have to trust that they can actually do the job, you just look at the output. You set KPIs, and if they reach it, it's fine. How they do it is their job. They are better salespeople than I am. I don't need to tell them how to do the job. And that's sort of the same thing as with instructional designers. The people in the business know much more about those topics. And maybe you can add value there, because, uh, like I hope I have some value in the company by guiding them and giving them direction. But well, that's also, a different I think it role. It does two things. One, it gives us a distinct role in that process because I've seen this before where I've, uh, and I've been in conversations where learning and development has almost kind of pitted the business against us because it almost seems like we're trying to say we know more or we're, we can do their job better than they do. And all of a sudden the relationship becomes a little bit tenuous versus saying, you are the expert in this. You know best how to do this. I'm here to almost coach and guide you on how do we get that information and knowledge out of you and share that. But that's the role I play you still play the role of the expert. So it actually, to, in many degrees, I've seen has moved you to, you know, more of a strategic partner to the business than we, we always say we don't want to be order takers. Well, this Correct. is how you move away from being an order taker is you say, no, you are the one who can do this, but I will be your Sherpa or your guide to figure out how do we actually yeah. do this. Well. You probably have way more impact as an instruction designer if you can convince a couple of managers that they need to free up time with those people to actually work on the content, to own that content, and to be responsible for that, and to be rewarded for that. Because that's yeah. one of the issues. If you are penalized for that, because it's like it's not your work, and you have to, you did it's not your KPI. Then, then it's then it's counterproductive. Yeah. So, 
And if, if an instructor designer can convince a manager that he has to put 10 people to work to create courses, the impact that you have is already bigger than, than creating one of those courses yourself. Yes, I, I completely agree. And I think this goes back to this original reaction that sometimes happens when you talk about this, where people's identity feels threatened a little bit. Like, well, this is what, what I do. And it's it's one of those things where you say, well... Yeah, but it, it's the period where we're in it. it it teaches us how fast things can change. So if I, if you told me a year ago that we would be all working remotely and in lockdown and stuff like that, and we're not flying, I haven't traveled for a year now. I was traveling a few times a month. So I love it, by the way. So, uh, but um, everything is different now. So, uh, and, and, and that is like, uh, of course, we're forced to that, but change yeah. is going so fast also in the business. And if you hold on to the control and the old ways of the top-down approach, your reach is just not big enough. Yeah. The company is going faster. The company, is, you will just be left behind. You ha the only way is to uh, to dive into uh, really into the business and help them do their job in a proper way. But they are responsible and that is different. So it's not your problem. It's their problem and you're there to help them. Yes. And now the one thing I will say, because having done this more times than I can count, I will say it's easier said than done. Right. And I think that's one of the things that as a as an L&D leader, there's work that has to be done to help transition this. And I've gotten the and I've gotten the pushback before of, well, the business isn't owning this. You know what? That's a challenge that you have to work through. You have to figure out how do you build in that accountability? You have to figure out how do you build in that governance? How do you build that partnership? You also may have some work to do as a reputation as an L&D organization, because quite frankly, if you have the reputation of the organization of no or the organization of slowing things down, you're going to need to build back that trust with the organization to say, hey, we're here right. and here's how. So there's some work to do. This isn't just a buy a cool authoring tool, flip the switch and, and turn the keys over and magically everything will happen. That's exactly what we see happening with our customers. So usually they will buy a team plan, uh, even big companies uh, with five or 10 licenses, they will start and then it will grow from there. And then it's like, uh, then uh, it really proves the value. And, and some of the companies have more than a thousand authors, but that doesn't come overnight. It's, it's a process because it also needs a, a mind shift in the business. It needs a mind shift uh, with uh, the L&D department. And it's really, uh, that is the hardest change that you can have. It's, it's, it's a culture change. It actually, a lot of learning managers are talking, how do I move my company into a, a, a learning culture? Well, this is it. This is step one. Yeah. <laughs> Make people responsible for helping other people to learn, for helping other people to do their job. That is the, the foundation of any learning culture. It's not like a system that you put in place with all kind of complex things. It is making sure to facilitate the people that they can capture their knowledge and share it. That's, yeah. that's the key thing. So that's the interesting thing. That And it is really hard. Yeah, uh, but it is also really rewarding for every it's company. It's really rewarding, and it is doable. That's the it thing. is. It's doable. we have eleven hundred customers using Easy Generator, and uh, uh, well, uh, almost all of them with huge success. Yeah. So uh, upsell is one of our biggest drivers, and that actually proves that uh, uh, that that it works. That people yeah. we had companies starting last year. I spoke to a, a big uh, UK-based company that I, in, in, uh, when we were allowed to travel in London on the, the learning show, the learning technology show. They, they uh, signed up for a double team plan. So there's 10 licenses in, I think, in March or April. And in December, they, they upgraded to an enterprise license, unlimited license for the whole company, which is like 10,000 people yeah. that now can use the tool. And well, so it can go that fast. It, it, it can. And I think that's the thing is recognizing the fact that this is a chop process and it's a journey and it's not, there's a reason. And I joke about this probably every episode, why I don't have hair, because a lot of this stuff is it's hard work and there, but you can do it. And I think to your point, people are talking about building a development culture or a learning culture. And it's, that's not a tool. That's not a platform. That's a culture of the organization where employees are continually developing themselves and helping develop others in the organization. It's just becoming the lifeblood of the organization. Yeah, correct. And 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 East Jenner is only just a tool that can help you in that process. It's not the process itself. Uh, it's completely different. Yeah. Okay. So if you tactical question okay. uh, came up that somebody asked that, I, and again, I think we've talked a lot about 
how you're creating the content. We hit on it a little bit earlier, but one of the questions that came up uh, was about where do people consume this? So somebody asked, does this does this integrate into Teams? So how are people yeah. how are people actually accessing Easy Generator content? So obviously these SMEs are creating the content, and then yeah. you said potentially you could just send a link and it would access that. But what are other ways people are doing this to help bring this content into people? Uh, and that is one of the things that is changing rapidly. So. Okay. Um, when we started out, we just built a, a download to SCORM file because that was our mindset coming uh, from the instruction design uh, yeah, kind of tool. We'll and then we, we signed up a couple of companies. So, yeah, we, we start selling it for $19 uh, a month uh, for two individual users. And then I said, okay, cool, but I don't have, what is an LMS? I never heard of an LMS. Right. So then I said, okay, we have an issue. So what we build in were two things, a result tracking and course hosting. So you can just publish your course on Easy Generator server. And we have uh, from day one uh, support, X full support of X API. So we can have results tracking on that. Um, and that makes it as easy to share an Easy Generator course as a YouTube video. You have a link or an embed code and you can put it anywhere. So if you can share a YouTube video, you can share an Easy Generator course. It's as simple as that. And what we see uh, about one third of the content created with Easy Generator is being published through SCORM into an LMS. Okay. So about uh, a third of it, people are doing kind of the traditional, they're- Yeah, a third of the courses, yes. Putting it in their traditional yeah. platforms. Two thirds is shared uh, through a link or an embed code. Okay. And uh, what we see that is that is changing rapidly. So a lot of people just used to uh, create a, a page, for example, in SharePoint, where you can click on the link. But now with the learning experience platform coming up, that is also something that happens. So for example, with a lot of those LXPs, you have like a learning path and they will just put small easy generator courses, links or embed codes in those learning paths. Okay. And the cool thing is that many of the LXPs do not have any tracking and tracing capability. Right. We do. So you can still see the results in easy generator or I can see how many people took my course and stuff like that. So that is changing rapidly. And now of course, with the, the resources that we're adding, so the checklist and the how-to guides and stuff like that, uh, it's even different, and that is that is harder because we have like although it's like a, a one of the I think the big disgraces of uh, our, our uh, learning community that we still have SCORM, which is <laughs> twenty years old. So if I explain it to somebody, uh, let's, not, like, let's not get into that discussion. Yeah. So <laughs> while we have a really great standard that can actually replace it, I, I really love XAPI and 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 the ideas behind it. So it's it's brilliant. Um, uh, but having said that, so you see that, that, that a lot of things are changing, but we have those standards. If you look at performance support, that is not that clear. You don't have standards like that uh, default way. So therefore, with and that's just our luck because we uh, we just created the links and the bad code. That works in a performance support tool as well. It right. works if you want to put it in SharePoint and search for it. If you want to use uh, Facebook at work, all those environments will work to put in your information and find it and retrieve it. So that is sort of uh, the thing, but that is something that I think is still developing. So probably that will be also a bit more formalized to the informal learning, <laughs> but uh, yeah. right now that's not really clear for me. Well, and it's it's actually pretty interesting because I think on that topic, so you know, it, it, I also so I also think it's interesting. We'll have to stay in touch because I'm curious how that one third, two third continues to change over time because I am seeing this big trend where yeah. really the LMS is being relegated to the role it really was originally intended for which was just for you know, formal learning portion right this small portion of formal learning and similar to that's how content authoring got out of control was well that's just what we did for this small well, i guess we'll just do that for everything that's what's happened to lmss is well Correct. we have a thing so we'll just dump yeah. it all in the lms and i see that starting to pare down and saying well does this really belong in the lms maybe not especially because I think before one of the risks was if you didn't put it in the LMS, you almost had no visibility into it, right? There was almost no visibility into did people get it, Correct. did they access it, did they use it? But to your point about XAPI and the pass-through for that, if you're putting this resource somewhere, you're putting it anywhere, even this course somewhere else, it's being pushed through an LXP, that XAPI is then transmitting that information. Back to and, and, and the interesting thing is that if I'm a subject matter expert and I create a course, I don't care if you fail or pass my course. No. I don't care if you score a seven. I'm interested in, in, in the insights that it gives me, how many people are using my course. So we are using XAPI more and more not to track results, but to yes. track quality. quality. It's really cool. Never came up with that at the beginning. 
I have to imagine, you tell me, but I have to imagine, right? There's almost a little bit of an addictive nature to this. When you when you start to be able to see, like, are people engaging with my stuff? Are they doing? So I have to imagine as authors, this probably helps pick up engagement and utilization. It's one of the things that we, we, yeah, we are just curious. Yeah. Like I put time into this. Is anybody using it or what parts are they using and finding valuable? Yeah, correct. Or uh, if you, I create a course, a one course on e-learning and it's just sitting there. So then uh, maybe I never go back to Easy Generator to update that course. But if I get like a message, wait a minute, you have four questions that are not working. So you have to check them out. Or you now have 500 people uh, viewing your course uh, and s- stuff like that. Then those are incentives to go back. And of course, that's also important for us as a vendor that people are engaging uh, with the tool and are using the tool uh, it, on a regular basis. So okay. of course, that's also what's behind it, and that's also uh, how how we will use that. Okay. But but the basic quality is uh, basic ideas is quality improvement. Okay. So you're so that will just continue to expand then, because going back into I think. You know, the, the question that came up was really like f- learning in the flow, flow of work, learning, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and I think that's the point is how are you getting these resources to people where they're doing the work versus saying you have to go to the LMS. And so and, and the cool thing is that we don't know. And uh, so at the experiment, at, at these generators, you have a couple of values. So uh, we call them the CEO value. So the challenge, experiment and own. And this is also an experiment. So we we came up with like 20 or 30 resources we could build. We're now building two of them. So we launched one in December and the next one will be in February. And then we'll just put it out there and see what's happening. We are measuring the data. We're going to interview the people. We leave it there for the first half year. And then we are going to talk to people. Are you using it? How are you using it? We're measuring the data. Uh, how are you going to publish it? Does it have value for you? And if it's successful, then we will build on it. And maybe it becomes a whole separate product. I don't know. But it's just like putting it out there, having it do its own work, and then see where that takes us. That's how how we sort of uh, go about this. Because we don't know. We don't know. If if I now ask a a CLO, okay, do you like those checklists? Yes. How do you want to publish them? Some of them say, oh, yeah, we have work there or anything, so we can put it in there. Most of them say, uh, that's not really content for my LMS. I'm not sure what I want to do with that. Okay. So, And that will grow over time. So it's interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll have to stay, we'll have to stay connected on this because I, I do think the way people are creating content, the way people are distributing content, the way people are using content is changing dramatically. And 2020 had a big impact on that. Yeah, with the whole COVID thing, of course, it's like everything... It's digital now. I know. Well, I think we took for granted, I think many organizations took for granted the way tribal knowledge moved through an organization when everybody was in the same building. And suddenly when they're not there, you know, the way that knowledge moves and the way knowledge is transferred is is definitely shifting. So my last question is this, because we're going to, I told you we were going to run out of time. Yeah, yeah, you told me. It's it's a nice talk (laughs) from my perspective. I'm not sure how it is to listen to it, but I am enjoying myself. (laughs) I think people are liking it. We've got got some good people following along and they've been here the whole time. So my last question is this with this is, okay, so for organizations, because one of the challenges I think with authoring tools, it's kind of like your LMS where you go, uh, this is what we've used. It may not be the best, but we've just so much of our stuff is tied to it. We don't really know how to get out of it. For organizations that may have a lot of, you know, authoring tools that they've been using, or they have this kind of portfolio, how are they making this transition? Because, you know, are they just are they just jumping over? Are they saying, you know what, we're just going to go here? Do they start with kind of the employee generated content? Because I can tell you right now, no organization is going out and buying a license for every single one of their SMEs in one of the big players. It's just not practical. No, it's not, and it's not 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 possible. Also, it's too too expensive. So, indeed, um, there are a couple. So, to, basically, the, the whole business model that we have is that you you buy licenses, and it can be a single or a team plan. Uh, but depending on your company, when you reach a certain amount of licenses, and I have to admit I don't know the exact number, then you go into unlimited. So you just pay a fixed fee per year, and everybody in your organization can use it. And whether or not, so for example, a company like Walmart is using it, and they have like a, a lot of people, <laughs> uh, or Sodexo, I think they they have like 450,000 people and an unlimited license. So if they want, they can have 450,000 people use it for one fixed fee per year, and even some of them uh, sort of uh, pinned that down for three years uh, as well. Okay. But that way, it's, it becomes a really, really uh, simple investment, uh, and it's uh, the price of an instructional designer, basically. Okay. 
So it's a, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer in many cases. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. And as we talked about, so just as we kind of wrap up, you know, so Venus, I, I did see your question. Uh, we did address a lot of that earlier in the episode. So when we're done here, check back in the live replay. I think like minute 15 or 20 is where we start discussing, you know, how do you actually use this as, a, as an L&D team to support things along the way? So um, this has been fantastic, Casper. I, I I love these discussions. So I appreciate you being here. Thanks also for sharing your worst haircut picture. <laughs> the cake, I I'm still I'm still ashamed. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to remember that now from now moving forward. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the great dialogue. Thanks everybody for tuning in um, and participating in things. And I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me. <laughs>